0: Thanks for listening to the podcast of First Alliance Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. For more information about our church or to watch a video recording of today's message, visit us online at facws.org. There are times in all of our lives when we can get caught up in the necessary, but then forget the most important pastors, you encounter moments in your life when you have a stressful period of time. You catch the flu. You have work going on in your house. You've been busy. And then you have a beautiful testimony of God's grace working in the lives of some of our young people. And you have a very good friend of yours and his wife come visit you and join you and lead you in worship, which you haven't been able to sing with him in years. And he and I used to sing together frequently and And then your pastor gets all weepy and then you're stuck with him for the rest of the sermon because then you're just kind of like, well, is he going to make it? Like, are we going to get through a sermon today? But God is so good, is he not? His grace extends to us in the middle of trial and triumph all the same. As we open our word today to Luke chapter 4, We remember a few things. Uh, One is, of course, friends of ours that we're praying for that we love. I visited Nancy Miller this week, and uh, she was walking around a little bit. She was having a little issue with uh, her blood pressure keeping up, so we want to pray that Nancy would have strength. Uh, She's been moved to a rehab facility as she recovers from her knee surgery. And, of course, Wendy, who had back surgery, was reported to have gone well. I've not yet visited her, but I've heard that she is recovering And then we want to recall that we have a challenge before us. We have about three weeks to come up with enough host homes for about 30 people. Because we have the Tacoma Falls College coming to lead us in a beautiful Sunday morning of worship, which will be on March 22nd. So I need you all to just clean out a closet and stuff some college kids in there. One night is all we need, Saturday night. They come in on Saturday, and then they leave on Sunday, and we're going to do a church potluck that Saturday evening. And so I invite you, please, sign up on your way out today for our potluck and to host some college kids or the adults. Now, we could put the adults in a hotel room, but the college kids, I mean, just Jesus was born in a stable. Like, we can find any sort of space to, I mean, if we got to clean out the sheds, we will, but let's just see what we can do in your homes before we have to do that. If you're in Luke, I invite you to pick up with me at Luke chapter 4, verse 1. It says, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. It will be all yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Let's pray. God, as we go into this text and as we consider both the challenge and the response, God, would you reveal to us the role and the nature of politics and our part therein? But above all, would you reveal the king who governs over all, who rules over all, the coming king, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. This Tuesday, our church is going to transform into that most secular institution of a voting spot. And we've had a lot of people coming throughout the last couple of weeks knocking on the door saying, is this an early voting spot? Despite the signs on the door that say, this is not an early voting spot. Now, if that doesn't worry you about the condition of the American electorate, I don't know what else will. But we're going to have voters come in and they're going to trudge down the hallway to the big room at the end and they're going to go in the machines and they're going to get out their ballots and just imagine with me, they pick out a ballot and it says for president and say you're a Republican, you have two choices, Donald Trump or Bill Weld and let's just say right underneath that says Jesus of Nazareth. What would you do? You know what Jesus did? No, Jesus ripped it up. He said, no thank you. Put yourself in the situation that Jesus was in. Here comes Satan. He says, all these kingdoms of the earth, all the money you could imagine, all the wealth, all the power, everything you've ever wanted, every policy that you thought was right, Jesus, I will give to you because I own it. If you will just worship me. There are a lot of politicians who have taken that deal through human history, are there not? There are a lot of people who have given away all of their sacred obligations in exchange for secular power. Because the politics, the power, the policies are something that we understand as human beings. We get it, right? We think if everybody would just agree to this policy, then life would be better. It just seems so obvious. If everybody would just vote for this candidate, who obviously seems like the right one, then everybody would get what they want, which is appropriate. Or at least everybody would get what is just. But there's some really, really hard truths in what is said in this text, that we have to confront as we consider our electoral season coming up. This is not a sermon about who you should vote for. And any pastor were to get up in the pulpit and tell you who to vote for in this church, you should probably run him out on a rail, because that's not the purpose of the pulpit. This is rather a sermon about the role of politics in your life and in mine, and what kinds of questions we ask when we encounter the realm of politics themselves. But before I get back to Satan, let me talk about where he lives. For four years, I lived in Washington, (laughs) D.C. You would laugh, you're a libertarian. Good job, Samuel. (laughs) was a human rights lobbyist. I had just uh, raised my hand one day when I was in someone's home and said uh, to somebody who was leading a Christian nonprofit, do you need an intern? They said, no, we need somebody to start an office in Washington D.C. on behalf of untouchable peoples in India. I said, great, I have no idea what I'm doing. They said, great, you're the one for the job. So they sent me there and for four years I lobbied. I, I used the L word. I did it. I went into the State Department, the White House, into the Senate, into the House, into the Senate office buildings, into the House office buildings. I wrote legislation, some of which was passed. I wrote parts of reports that made it into official state government documents. As a matter of fact, The current Prime Minister of India, Narendra Modi, was unable to attend a forum in the United States at the time because he had instituted a pogrom against Muslims when he was the governor of Gujarat. And I wrote the report that made it to the State Department, that made it into legislation that banned him from coming to the United States. Don't tell anyone. (laughs) He's a very powerful man now. And that would not reflect well on me. But, point is, is I was in there. And I want to tell you as I was in there, in the middle of all of that, there's a few things that I saw that you should know. One is, is that 99% of the people who do the work of politics you will never see on television. They're behind the scenes. They're the lobbyists. They're the staff members, the employees. Most of them get paid peanuts. Most staff members sleep four to a room in some very expensive building down the road from the house because they can't afford. There's several members of Congress who live in their offices in cots. I don't know if you knew that. Not only that, a lot of, now not most, but a lot of the people on both sides of the aisle are God-fearing Christian people. I was able to start with a colleague of mine at the State Department, a prayer time. We would get together, barbecue chicken, which somehow I was put in charge of, just seems to be the thing, and we would invite people to come, and we would pray for the persecuted church. It was our inter-party, cross uh, uh, different stations of life, prayer time for the persecuted church. We had Republicans, we had Democrats, we had Independents, people from the State Department, from the White House, wherever, and we would pray for the church, and that was it. And it was beautiful. It wasn't about politics. There was no policy pushed. On Sunday mornings, this morning, a lot of people from both sides of the aisle got up and went to church and worshipped Jesus this morning. They're in church right now. Capitol Bible Church is a humming giant Baptist church right down the road. There's other ones now as well. David Platt ministers at one of the largest churches in America. Those of you that know that name, and it's right in Washington, D.C., When I would teach Sunday school, I was a very young man, 22, 23 years old, and my Sunday school class asked me to teach a class on war and peace in the Bible. And all of the attendees were in the CIA, the FBI, the Army, the Navy, the Marines. And I was like, why are you asking me? And they were like, because we would fight over who gets to teach, so we want you to do it instead. (laughs) I mean, a sub commander was one of the guys that I was teaching. An admiral who would go on to be a two-star. An amazing guy was in that class with me. Godly people. So we have to be cautious when we talk about the government. Even when we encounter this text. The government is made up of people who love Jesus. Not all of it. Not everywhere. Not every branch. Not every part. Certainly not all the people that you see on Fox News or MSNBC or wherever you're looking. But there's a lot of people that you will encounter in heaven. And you'll say, well, what were you doing up there? And they'll say, I was trying to serve Jesus. And you'll say, "But you had this wrong. And they'll say, yeah, but you had this wrong. And you'll both realize that to be wrong is to be human, which is why they needed Jesus as much as we do. So when Paul says, pray for those who are in governance, you're praying has real effect. And I encourage you, when you consider politics, on any level, federal, state, local, county, any of that, you know, don't just pray for Fred McClure. Pray for all of our politicians, all of our leaders, all the people who are employed by government. You want a real challenge. I I challenged you one time to pray at Walmart, and then I thought of a harder one. Pray at the DMV. (laughs) For the person operating the computer, they're probably a government employee, or maybe they're uh, paid by the government through some contractual agreement. Pray for them, too. Because they have some authority over you. Don't they? As much as we hate to admit it. When we consider the text before us, we have to encounter a few truths that I want you to really write down or meditate upon later. The first is this, when Satan says, all the kingdoms of the world, I have authority over that has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. Jesus does not rebuke that truth. He does not say, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, my father is in charge, or no, I'm the king of all the universe. Because it was true, and it is true. The prince of darkness has influence to this day, and one of his major places of influence is in the political realm. And God has handed this world over to Satan. In part for condemnation of sin, because people refuse to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. But also in part to bring to culmination the judgment of the nations when Jesus will return as the coming King. For those of you that come on Tuesday night, we've been reading Revelation. And I ask the simple question in Revelation, do things get better... Or do they get worse when it comes to the nations? And the answer is not better. It's worse. When you read Revelation, there's a progression of wickedness that proceeds through the nation that God ultimately judges. Those elements of wickedness are only minorly restrained by good and gracious rulers through time. But significantly, no, they're not. In the end, the nations rebel, and it is Christ the King who comes back and judges each and every single nation on earth. So when Satan says, I have this authority and I can give it to you, that's a real offer. It's just as real as the other two offers. I mean, the first temptation is what? Jesus, turn these stones into bread and feed yourself. Jesus was hungry. That's a real temptation, and Jesus could have succumbed because he had the power and authority to turn those stones into bread. The third temptation, Jesus, throw yourself down in front of everybody. Angels will snatch you up, and everybody will realize that you are who you say that you are. Jesus could have done that. He's the commander of the Lord's armies. He could have done anything with angels. He could have sneezed and said, Michael, hand me a tissue anything. So when Satan offers the kingdoms of the world, if Jesus would just worship, that's not a false temptation. I've read authors who say, oh gee, Satan's lying. He doesn't have authority over the nations. Well, then it's not a real temptation. Jesus would call him on his lie. But Jesus was fully man as he was fully God. And as a fully man, as a human being, which one of us would not consider that to be a significant temptation? After all, to be a king is way more than a president. No term limits, no elections to run for. I get to do whatever I want. People bow to me. Maybe people even worship me. I get to take all the money. I get to take all the power. I get to do everything that I want to do whenever I want to do it. And I can do it on a whim. Way more than being a president. Jesus knew that his future involved pain and suffering. And you're telling me that he wouldn't have considered for a moment the alternative? A life of ease for all the rest of his days. A life where he could get what he wants. Jesus rejected the physical rule over man. Which means that we need to be very cautious when we consider the idea of ruling. governance. Giving people power, even seemingly good power, over other people is always a precarious predicament because no one is good. And if Jesus would reject it, you best be sure that we ought to really consider ourselves. Power tends to shift up. Power tends to go upwards to people that are the handsomest, the wealthiest, the uh, uh, most well spoken. Our first president, we love him, right? What was his name? George Washington, right? He also was six foot five, a military commander, and the wealthiest person in America at that time by an order of magnitude. He was rich. Really, really, really rich by his day. To this day, we honor and respect people that look good, that speak well, that are wealthy, and we put them on platforms and we give them power. This is nothing new. What happened in the days when there was no king in Israel? The people, instead of following after God, God says, follow after me, I will be your God, you will be my people, you don't need a king. They said, no, we want a king like the other nations do. And so God says, well, that king is going to take your power, he's going to take your money, he's going to take your women. And what did the nation say? Great. (laughs) And so they got a tall, handsome man named Saul who did just that. We want people to take power and authority because we believe that if they are rich, if they are handsome, if they are well-spoken, then maybe they are also good and they will do good, but no one is righteous, no, not even one. Every human being given power abuses it in some way. Every single one, whether in the church, in the courts, In the presidency, in the Congress, in kingdoms, the police. Anybody who is given power and authority and not held or constrained by outside sources will abuse their power and authority. I could speak on this for a very, very long time. I studied politics for a long time. You know who else studied politics for a long time? The founders of our country. And they realized if they didn't create a system that constrained the authority of men to rule over other men, that we would move toward despotism as England had in having kings that ruled with iron fists. Our number one job as believers in the United States is not to pick the right rulers, but to make sure that whatever rulers that we pick don't have the authority to enact or enable their corruptions which live within their heart. We want less power, not more. Jesus rejects the authority over man. He says no, and why does he say no? Because to gain authority over mankind requires what? The worship of Satan who has that authority in the first place. Political authority and success. Listen carefully to this because this is a hard truth, but it is a biblical truth. Political authority and success always has a corrupting power. Because Satan rules the nations. You cannot have Somebody who achieves the highest level of success and doesn't have a higher level of temptation that faces them. That's just how the world works. And I don't just mean presidents, governors, mayors. How many people, when you open the papers from week to week, who does that anymore? I'm sorry, young people. Who, When you open the internet from week to week, oh, that's too much. When you get a text message from somebody that says, did you hear such and such? Every day, it seems, some important pastor, some important political figure, some leader of some country or the church or a priest or somebody is found to have abused their authority. Not their biblical authority, their secular authority over other people. The old old slogan is what? Power corrupts absolute power, corrupts absolutely. Why is this the case? Well, it brings me to the third point. Satan rules the nations. Well, you say, now hold on. How can that be when we have Romans 13? Flip in your Bibles to Romans 13, starting in verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God, consequently whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They're God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on wrongdoers. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities. Not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. How can it be that Satan says, I have the authority over the nations. And then God says... Uh, through Paul, Paul says everyone must be subject to authorities for there's no authority except that which God has established. Well this is going to come as really tough news. The authority that God has established means that men rule over men, whether in monarchies, democracies, despotisms, whatever system, oligarchies, you can go on and name all the names. All of you that are in AP political science, you're welcome. I'm reminding you of all the things you need to know. Okay. Here's the systems, here's the authorities, here's the powers. And then he says to Satan, have at it. These people are wicked, God says. And through Satan, God is judging the world. We wonder how can an Idi Amin, how can a Hitler, how can a Stalin, how, do these things happen outside of God's authority? Did God blink and close his eyes for a period of weeks or months or years or decades and the Holocaust occurs or the cleansings occur in France or, or all of the, the uh, destruction of, of uh, the civil war in, in China and, and you know all these other things. How does Pol Pot occur? Does Satan rule some nations and God rules other nations? No, God has designed a system whereby men rule men. And then he has given authority for the time being to the devil. Because the devil is the one who reveals our own wickedness. The downward spiral that we see in politics is not outside of God's plan. If you read the book of Revelation, it is part of God's plan. Men reveal their wickedness through politics. Men destroy one another and kill one another and purge one another as part of politics by following after the temptations of the devil to reveal that only God is the just and right ruler of the nations. We have wickedness in our governance to show that no government can save us. And so we read what I consider to be one of the most important verses of the Bible, and I hope that you will memorize it. In Philippians chapter 3 verse 17 it's not that's not the verse but we're going to get there it says brothers join in imitating me keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us for many "...of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the, cro- of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction... Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. They craved power. They craved money. They craved security. So they gave up on Jesus, these early followers. But listen to what he says in verse 20. Remember Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Why does God not send a king or a president to set everything right in America or in Africa, in African nations or South American nations or in a place like China? Why does God not wipe away the communists and instill democracy? Why does God not stop people from committing ethnic cleansings against one another? Because only God saves and if he sends a man to do God's job, we will worship man instead of God. And when God sets forth his government in the book of Revelation, he doesn't need men to do it. There's this beautiful picture in Revelation. All the nations who have rebelled and rejected God, they stand against God's people. And they are burying themselves, readying themselves to be eradicated. When out of the skies, God comes, Jesus himself comes. And it says that Jesus fights And wins the battle. Just Jesus. It doesn't say Jesus calls warriors to his side. It doesn't say Jesus comes over the hill. And rallies men to himself. And they fight even harder. And they win the victory. It says Jesus himself comes from the skies. And sweeps away his enemies by himself. God doesn't elevate men to perfect societies and cultures and cities and places because we would worship men and we have and we do. Y'all how many people worship politicians? How many times have we worshiped politicians? Have we thought in our hearts if only this person would win everything would be good? No there's nobody that could win any seat of government that would rectify the problems that exist because the problems begin here in our hearts. I've gone on way too long and I'm going to wrap up and I apologize for that. I told you I could talk about this for a long time. Let's let's take some applications out of this text really quickly. One is even though Satan is true when he says that he has the influence and the control over the authorities of this world. Paul still clarifies that the structure of that authority was made by God, and so we have to honor and respect those in governance. And it's that time of year. Pay our taxes. Yay, pastor's application number one was pay taxes. It's true. Paul says it in Romans 13. Give Revenue to whom revenue is due. Give honor to whom honor is due. The second is let us combat in our hearts. Every time we watch the news, every time we encounter something that makes us angry, every time we hear a politician bloviate and, and go on about all their whatever, their wrongness, think in your heart, fix in your heart, my citizenship is in heaven. And abandon the thought If only everyone would agree with me, everything would be hunky-dory. Our citizenship is in heaven. From there we await a Savior. Not, if only everyone did what I know to be right, things would be fine. Do you know what happens when we have enacted politicians who said, If only you do what I say, everything will be fine. And then gave them the authority to follow through on that promise. Everybody who disagrees ends up dead or in a concentration camp or in a gulag or in a killing field. We have to remember that other people may disagree with us and that's okay. We can love them and share the gospel with them and pray with them and even worship with them side by side in church. You hear me there? Worship side by side with them in church. Church, because we serve a king who is greater than any politician or candidate. One final thought consider Jesus' rebuke. It says, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Sometimes we bifurcate that. Sometimes we think we can worship God and then serve man. We come to church on Sunday and we sing along with our leaders and we hear the word. And then six days of the week we serve man. And do whatever our own hearts or some politician or some secular leader says. Listen to A.W. Tozer, one of the greatest writers in the history of the alliance. Listen to what he says. There is an evil, which I have seen under the sun, and which in its effect upon the Christian religion may be more destructive than communism and liberalism combined. It is the glaring disparity between the theology and practice among professing Christians. So an inquiring stranger who chances upon both a Sunday morning service and the behavior of Christians throughout the week would wonder if there was any relationship between what happens on Sunday and what happens on Sunday afternoon. Jesus' rebuke to Satan is not just worship God, it's serve him too. Well, I invite you This week to ask a question. Does what I do throughout the week, whether in the political sphere or in my personal life or in my work, wherever I am, does how I serve and whom I serve reflect what I say about who I worship? Does my life match my theology? What I say, I believe. Jesus is better than any king you will encounter. He's better than any president that you can find on the ballot box this March 3rd. He is better than any mayor. He's better than any governor. He's better than any congressman or senator. Here's why. Because we know that Jesus is the king. But unlike any president we've ever had in history, think of the best one you could put in your mind. Everybody has a favorite. Who's your favorite? Just think it right now in your head. Don't say it out loud, please. There'll be so much judgment that just circumnavigates the room. So just put it in your head. That president would have never, if you were an agent of the enemy of the United States, have gone to the gas chamber or the electrocution or the firing squad in your place for your wrongdoings but Jesus who is king when we were enemies of his died in our place on the cross Abraham Lincoln would not have done that George Washington would not have done that nobody but Christ So when we say that Jesus is both Lord and Savior, we say that he is the only true king who loves us and gave his life for us in our stead. That's why he's worthy of our worship. That's why he's more worthy of our worship than any man who will ever walk the face of the earth. And so I invite you, will you worship him instead of a politician? Will you worship him instead of a celebrity? Will you worship him instead of anybody else on the face of this earth? And then will you live like it? Because as Amador shared this morning, your life will change if you do. Let's pray. Father God, this is an enormously complex subject. One that engenders a lot of hurt feelings. It can make us frustrated and angry. We wonder why obvious answers to simple problems aren't solved, whether that be in international relations or the pothole down the street. God, we wonder if our taxes are being wasted. We wonder if we should obey the government, if the government is evil and does evil stuff. We wonder who we should vote for at times when everybody seems like a fool. But Lord, you are the coming king. You will judge the nations for their arrogance. You will judge each one of us as to our fidelity, whether we chose to be faithful to you or faithful to king and country. Lord, should you be so good to us that you provide us opportunities to serve our nation In a godly way. And we thank you, Lord, that you have given us that opportunity in the United States to be able to do that for a very long time. But we know, Lord, that won't always necessarily be the case. Let us be faithful to your kingdom above all. And when we have influence, let us use it. But when we don't, let us not despair. We glorify you, Lord Jesus, our King, and our citizenship is in your kingdom. Amen, the word says, come, Lord Jesus, amen. Let's stand together. sure before you leave that you warmly receive Scott and Kirsten and thank them for being here today. We love you, Scott. Thank you for leading worship today, brother. The word says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who called you is faithful. He will do it. Amen. Amen.